Father, we thank you. Once again, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We are here not to listen to the voice of man, because of the voice of man does not profit. It is you and your words alone, Father. And therefore we pray along with Peter. Where can we go, Father? Go, Lord. You and you alone have the words of life. Therefore this evening, speak to us through those words. Bring life into us through your spirit. You said, Lord, the letter kills. Your word says the letter kills, but the spirit brings life. And therefore we pray, Father, through the ministration of the word, bring life to us. Let this word, Father, be tested, O Lord. And let it be proven in our own lives, O Lord. Whatever is of God, let it be established in our lives. And whatever is not of you, let it just fall to the ground. Commit us into your hands. Anoint us even as we hear and even as I speak. To that end, I pray that you would grant us grace and you would bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So we'll be, we'll continue to study in the lines of what we've been looking at uh, in our church over the past several weeks and uh, Sundays and Wednesdays, pastor's conference, etc. Look at some very important aspects of our walk with the Lord, especially we'll come back to that famous portion of scripture that we've been looking at. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. Uh, we'll revisit this over and over again, but yes, it's in line with what we've been studying and therefore pay careful attention. This is First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 23. So Samuel said, has the Lord great delight? in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion, you see that, obeying and delight, you need to understand that what God is pleased with is obedience. That's what gives God delight. Not sacrifice. Obedience will have sacrifice. But sacrifice need not have obedience. Okay. That's something which is absolutely important for us to understand. Obedience will always have sacrifice. But sacrifice need not always have obedience. So there is one thing that delights God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Those who walk according to the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so there are ways that we can please God and that is only the way of obedience. Okay, everybody. Say obedience, everybody. Okay, obedience, that's what we look at today. Look at today. To behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed, uh, to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, look at this uh, words, two words over here. Rebellion is as, is in italics. You can see that, right? It's, can you see that? It's in italics. What does it mean? 
It's not there in the original translation. So look at, we'll read that without uh, ease as, for rebellion, the sin of witchcraft. Okay. Ease as doesn't exist in the Hebrew language. Okay. Stubbornness as is, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So you see that rejecting the word of the Lord is essentially what we call as rebellion. Yeah? And he says, this rebellion is as witchcraft. It's amazing. What does it mean? The moment you start Rejecting God's word in your life, you're already in rebellion and then you're operating not necessarily, I mean, uh, ostentatiously in witchcraft, you're not going to a witch, but you're already under the influence of the spirits of witchcraft. That's what it means. No, for example, in, 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 in the, in the New Testament, you will often find people, uh, Bibles, some, some translations will use this word, this guy has been demon possessed. The word is actually not demon possessed, it's daimonetsomai, which essentially means under the influence of demonic power. That's what it means. And it's quite possible that many believers, if they are walking in uh, in rebellion, in that they have rejected the word of God, they are walking under the influence of witchcraft. That is what we've been looking at. And those who walk in the influence, under the influence of witchcraft, you know, where do you find them? It's found in, and this is very important, okay? This is, just revisit this slide a little later, but keep that in mind. Witchcraft is, is, is very powerful. Remember, no, when, if, uh, if Saul would have told Samuel, I'm sorry, Samuel would have told Saul, you are in witchcraft, Saul would have said, what are you talking about? What witchcraft here? I mean, it's amazing, no? But you see, it was a beginning of a fall and ultimately he ended up with a witch. The very witches and the diviners and the soothsayers whom he put out of the kingdom, ultimately he was so hardened in his heart that he visited a witch. That's amazing. So we'll be very careful. So when we say rebellion is essentially rejecting the word of God. And where do we find these people who have rejected? Now just keep those people in mind. Now this is in, this in mind. Think with this lens now. Witchcraft means rebellion. Rebellions means rejection of God's word. Alright? So, Revelation chapter 21, we'll talk about these people. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give you the, I will give the, uh, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. And then, but the cowardly or the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and who? Sorcerers are those people who are under the influence of witchcraft. Essentially, they are people who are rebels because they have rejected the word of God. This is what it means. Okay, just keep that in mind when you are reading scripture. Use that lens now. They are sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. All kinds of light liars. White liars, black liars, etc. Okay, they will all be Outside the kingdom of God. No? All sheep will be in God's kingdom. You can be white sheep, black sheep, whatever sheep. But you are sheep. You know, sometimes, you know, they, they, they use, this guy is a proverbial black sheep. As long as he's sheep, doesn't matter whether he's white or black. 
Okay, he will be in found in the presence of God. So, all liars, however, whether white liars or black liars or outliers, they will all find themselves where? In the lake of fire, which is the second death. And what is this sorcery? Where does it actually find its influence? Remember, um, you remember the curse that which uh, Satan, I mean, God pronounces over Satan. He says, the dust of the ground will be your food. That will be your food. And it says, he he made Adam from the dust of the earth. So essentially, the flesh is, is likened to dust. Okay, and then you'll see this in Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, essentially those people who are rebels who have rejected the word of the Lord. So you just keep that in mind. Hatred, contentions and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? You see that? This is very, very important for us to understand. So, sorcery essentially is a work of the flesh. And therefore it says, in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, he says, those who live according to the flesh cannot Please, God. But you brothers are not of the flesh, but of the spirit, etc. Okay, so, sorcery is a work of the flesh. Okay, understand that? We've looked at that and... So, how do we tackle the spirit of witchcraft? How do we overcome it? How do we keep ourselves from the influence of witchcraft in our lives? And we can all, like like Pastor Tepto spoke to us during uh, these weeks, he says... In, in a marriage, for a man, it could be intimidation, and that could be, and as long as you intimidate people, you are operating under the realm of witchcraft, and for the women, it could be manipulation. So, all of us can operate in that realm. So, be careful about it, and we always constantly keep fighting it, right? So, what is the key? What is the key, and how do we do it, is a question. My people are distraught because of lack of knowledge. So, we just revisit this slide, slide over here. Rebellion is essentially rejection of the word of God. And that is witchcraft. On the contrary, obedience is exactly opposite to rebellion. And by the way, rebellion and pride go together. Only those people who are proud are rebels. And only those people who are humble are obedient. Okay, that's 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 a no-brainer. Okay, you want to see the humblest people? Those are the people who are the most obedient people. Okay, proud people, even in their obedience, they are rebels. Okay, so this is something which we need to look at carefully. So obedience is the key. Alright, and why did God save us? Why did God save us? The reason God saved us was this. Romans chapter 1 verse 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. This is what God has saved us for obedience that comes from faith. Yeah. And another place, another verse, another author, and you'll say Paul is always worried about obedience. Look at another author, Peter. Pauline, Peterine. Okay. First Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So a lot of people are worried about who these elect people are. Am I the elect? 
How do you know that you are among the elect? It's very simple. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. That is how you know that I am a part of the elect. Okay. So, that's very interesting. So, opposite of witchcraft, therefore, is obedience. If you want to ensure that you don't operate on the realm of witchcraft, what do you practice? You practice obedience. Question is, what kind of obedience? Answer. Okay, let's see what kind of obedience he's talking about. Second Corinthians chapter 10, we know this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing or every thought of rebellion, that's what it means, in other words, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into the captivity, into captivity, to the obedience of Christ. So you reject every high thing and the only obedience that is acceptable in the sight of God is the obedience of Christ. Okay, that is how we please God. Any kind of obedience, doesn't matter, you, you can call it obedience, like Paul, Saul said, no, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. No, he says, there is one kind of obedience, there is only one kind of obedience which I am pleased. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. When he got, got into the waters of baptism. When he goes to the Mount of Transfiguration and is hearing about his death. He's discussing about the kind of death that he's going to suffer. And then suddenly Peter opens his mouth and, he's, and he hears a voice. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him or obey him. That is the whole idea. These, this, that, that is how we know that our obedience uh, pleases God. Uh, any other kind of obedience therefore. By default, we are operating in the realm of witchcraft. You got that, right? So, what we are striving for, hopefully, in incremental ways, it doesn't happen in a day. Incrementally, we are going towards the obedience of Christ. So, how do we achieve this? Is a question. First of all, we should know what it is in order for us to strive for it, right? So, let us try to see what it is. The classic text on that, on this is, of course, we know this very famous passage in the New Testament is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 onwards. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, etc. And verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. First, remember, last Wednesday we heard about bond servant. Yeah, that is how it starts. It takes... It starts by taking this position. Okay. Then he found, he, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And then he became obedient. Isn't it amazing? He was not already obedient. He didn't, he did not have that kind of obedience that pleased God. He took the form of a bomb servant humbled himself and he progressively became obedient. That is strange, amazing. To the point of death, even to the death of the cross and therefore God also highly exalted him, etc. Another text. What is this obedience of Christ? How did he become obedient? How did he become obedient? He became obedient by doing something. 
that all of us do when we go to school. What do we do when we go to school? We are doing something. What are we doing? We are, you know, what we, we call a school something very interesting. We call it, we don't call it a school. We call it a learning center. Okay. We don't call it a school. It is a learning center. When we go to school, what do we do? We learn. I, I remember one guy who was doing this. He was giving these uh, pep talks for IITJE exam. No, You know, he says, he said in nice Hindi, he says, coaching se concept nahi aati hai. Learning se aati hai concept. It is not, doesn't matter if you go to 25 coaching centers, you will never learn the, get the concept until you, until you learn it. Okay. So you can run from one coaching center to another coaching center from Ramaya to Krishnamurti to any other Aya, China, what have you. You will never learn the concept. I mean, you will never get the concept by coaching. You will get the concept by learning. You see that? That is the reason why, you know what it says, a lot of people who are forever learning, so to speak, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. They're going to coaching. They're running from one one deliverance conference to another deliverance conference for one from one exposition meeting to another exposition meeting. But they have never learned obedience. So it doesn't matter how many Bible studies you come and listen, unless you're learning obedience and becoming, I mean, and becoming obedient even to the point of death, becoming progressively, incrementally to the obedience that conforms at least to a certain level to the obedience of Christ. We have not. We are still loitering around in a domain which is uncertain. So, how did Jesus attain? How did he become obedient? So, very interesting thing. Becoming, you, it's very strange, right? For God to become something. I mean, how can God become something? That is, which is already not. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7, will interesting verse, we'll, this, this is what it says, we know this very well. He, who in the days of his flesh, when he was, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. That's remarkable. So he became obedient by learning obedience. And having, and how did he uh, learn obedience? By the things which he suffered. That is how he learned obedience. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. To whom? To all who obey him. You see, ultimately we are obeying him. It's, it's, that's, that's, that's what Paul says. Be imitators of me even as I imitate Christ. Even as you see in me, Areas where my obedience, you believe, according to the word of God, is is conforming to the obedience of Christ. Imitate me in those areas. That's exactly what it means over here. So how did he learn? He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That's something strange. How can God learn? What is this? What kind of a paradigm is this? John Piper... Help me, help me with this. In one of his uh, Ask John Piper podcasts, okay, very interesting. This is what he says, the paradigm, John Piper. Look at what he says. How did Jesus learn obedience? Look at this. Look at this paradigm. Just keep this, this grid in your minds. How did Jesus learn obedience? Jesus learned obedience from by starting from untested obedience to suffering to obedience. That is how we learned. Untested obedience 
he was already obedient to the father. I mean, but then he had to become a man. And he had to be tested in every point and not sin. So he had untested obedience when he was with the father. He came as a man. He allowed himself to be tested through all kinds of various trials and situations and relationships, etc. And ultimately, he was perfected in his obedience, which was tested. That is the reason why he says, my dear brothers, don't don't think strange when you fall into many trials and temptations. Because the testing of your faith produces patience and let patience have its complete effect that you may be perfect, not lacking anything. See, from untested obedience to suffering to tested obedience and this is the paradigm for Every Christian, how do we accomplish the obedience of Christ in our lives is this process. So let us apply this paradigm to to different areas in our lives and see whether how much we have conformed to the obedience of Christ. Can we do that? Okay. So let's come back to that slide again. Rebellion is a sin of witchcraft, which is essentially rejection of the word of God and obedience is what God is delighting in. So, when you reject the word of God, you have rebelled, but when you love and accepted the word of God, obedience begins. So, the first way Jesus learned obedience, you know how we learned obedience? First way he learned obedience by his attitude towards God's word. It's amazing, isn't it? 12 years old, he goes to the Passover. Passover festival, and he's in the temple. It says he's listening and he's asking questions. How many of you have questions? Oh, once the class is over. Ardhamainda. When you have no questions, for sure, the teacher has failed to convey. You see? If you have no questions, and therefore you have to ask questions. And this Jesus, that is how he learned. And he's like, we went to the Passover, and he might have asked them this question, what is this Passover festival? I'm just speculating. You know, the Passover, the firstborn, either the firstborn had to die, or any, or a lamb had to die. Oh, is it? Why should the firstborn die? Otherwise the angel of death will not pass over. And he was not, he was possibly thinking, you know, I should be that Passover lamb. I will be that Passover lamb. I'm here for the Passover festival and these guys don't even know me. Just speculating. He's learning obedience. So your first, first, very first, you know, the first step is very important. The first step is hearing. That's why I said, no, who has your Ear. It's very interesting, right? It says in Psalm 40, it says, sacrifices and burnt offerings you have not desired, but my ears you have pierced or dug or opened. Hebrews will quote the same verse, but it will not quote it from the original Hebrew. It quotes it from the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it says, sacrifices and burnt offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In other words, those, he who has your 
ear has your body. You got that? So the first step and where most believers fail, and I'm, I'm telling you most believers, and I'm not talk, obviously not talking about many of you, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure how our attitude toward the word of God is, is our attitude to the word of God determines everything in our lives. That is where Jesus started first. And you will see learning and rebellion connected to the word of God. But learning, rebellion, word of God are interconnected. How do I know this? Fine. Let's see. Isaiah chapter 15, verses 4 to 6. Okay. Keep that paradigm in your mind. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the what? Learned. Got it? Learning. You see that? Or a disciple. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him, his who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. The same word. You see that this, the, the, by, the, by the word, the word for rebellion is mara. Mara, which also means bitter. Same root. Okay, that's a Greek word, Hebrew word. So he says, whenever God, I mean, that is how he learned. Think about it, the word who became flesh, who was the word of God, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and when he became flesh, he had to even learn the word of God. And his attitude toward the word of God determines his entire destiny. For several years, morning by morning, I mean, for almost, I think, believe, 33 and a half years, morning by morning, he was awakened. And he never turned as one rebellious. And why did he do that? Why did he do this? Next verse, we'll say, verse 6, look at what it says. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and from spitting. Why did I not... Turn away as one rebellious because one day I should give my back, I should give my beard and somebody will be spitting on me for that day. I'm getting up early in the morning. I'm hearing. I'm learning so that one day I can allow somebody to spit on me. Think about it, no? I mean, we all parents want our children to go to different, different coachings. Morning by morning, my parents also used to wake me up. Okay. Why? Not that one day I'll give my back to those who will smite me. I will sit in the position of authority. I'll have a great job, great salary, etc., etc. That is the reason why they woke me up morning by morning. Right? You know, Mattu Vadalara, Nidura Mattu Vadalara, my dad used to say, <laughs> means please get up Vijay. And he used to really chide us and we used to oh, get up early in the morning. Why? Study, go to coaching class, etc., etc., etc. Why? So that one day you will reign. No, no, no. Jesus also was awakened morning by morning to learn so that one day he will give his back to those who will smite him and his face to those who will spit on him. So that is how. I mean, think about it now. Is that our attitude towards God's word? Why are we listening to the word of God? So that one day we'll be successful or one day we'll be ready for persecution. But that, so attitude towards God's word is so important. 
So if you have rejected, this is exactly what Jesus will say in John's Gospel chapter 12. And if anyone hears my word and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me does not receive my words, and does not receive my words, that which... Uh, has that which judges him, the, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Meaning, if you have rejected me, me, means you have actually rejected my words. And that is the reason why he looks at his disciples and he says, this day also, they all said, this is a very hard word, who can accept it? And he looked at his twelve disciples, do you also want to go away? They said, Lord, where shall we go? You and you alone have the words of life. Attitude towards God's word. Okay. So how do you Learn. How do you learn? I mean, for me, there is no substitute for hard work in the kingdom of God. You know what Paul told Timothy? Study to show yourself approved unto God. This is how you learn. I'll show you a, an attitude. Okay, I can only show, we can only see the attitude. It is something which we have to desire. Look at the attitude of a learner. You want to see an attitude of a learner? Proverbs chapter 2. My son... If you receive my words and treasure my commands, if you incline your ear to wisdom, apply your heart to understanding, if you cry out for discernment, if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek for her as silver, search for her as for hidden treasures, then ah, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the true knowledge of God. Otherwise, it's all superficial. Everybody, lot of people have dandies, you know, they're just the small little dandies they have. The chocolates, what we call as chocolates and candies they have. They don't have depth, they don't have meat. Why? Because they don't seek for the word of God this way. They don't have this attitude when they come to the word of God. It's very interesting, right? So many people, especially I've seen in, in universities also, right? When it comes to solving complex mathematical differential equations, they use their minds. When they come to the church, they put their minds out and they come. They want everything easy. The pastor has to simplify everything for them. They don't want to think. You know what Paul tells Timothy? He says, think on the things that I have taught you. The Lord will give you understanding. Think. Okay? Otherwise, and most of the believers, they can't take any hard words, right? I mean, if you tell them good things about them, they're okay. But if you tell Correction? Sorry. And if you accept any other word which is not corrective in that sense, you know what it is? It's actually divination. You say, prove prove that from scripture. Not, I I can show you several places, I'll show you only one place. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 14 verses 13 and 14. Then I said, ah, Lord God, Behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Meaning, this is exactly what people want. Oh, you're so good, so good. You will always be successful in life. Nothing will happen to you. And you know what it says? And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not spoken to them or commanded them, not spoken to them. They prophesy a false vision and what? A divination. It's divination. What it means is this. Any other word which is not going to really, really form the obedience of Christ inside of me is not the word of God. It is actually sorcery. It is divination. 
You find this again in the New Testament. Look at what it says. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved. And then, and for this reason, who will send them? God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Another place. Proverbs chapter 17. This is, this is really, really amazing. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 11. This is in the New American Standard Bible. A rebellious man seeks only evil, so a cruel messenger will be sent against him. And this is exactly what happened to Saul. Now, I, I'm not, I'm not saying you, I'm not showing you something which is outside scripture. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 verses 13 and 15. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him because he's only rebelling against the Lord. You know what God says? I will send you an evil spirit and it will terrorize you. Saul's servant then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit is terrorizing you. You see that? So, your attitude towards God's word is so very important for for all of us. No, it's It's incremental, by the way. You don't have to you don't become perfect in a day, but you have our heart towards it. When, when there is willing, when, if, the, if there is a willing heart, it is not what according to one does not have, but what according to one has. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the best of the land. Okay, so don't worry about if you're trying and if your if your heart is towards that, it's all right. That's the first thing. Attitude towards God's word. That is how we learned. Hanging on to God's word. It doesn't matter. Let let me tell you something. You should constantly keep praying every day of your life saying, Lord, never stop speaking to me. Never stop speaking to me. Never stop speaking to me. And you know what? God is not obligated to speak to us. He says, those who honor me, I will honor. And if you don't honor his word, he's not obligated to speak to us at all. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. Even in the last days, it says he's... God does not speak to him through vision or through prophets or any other thing. So what does he do? Ultimately, he has to hear a voice. So he goes to a diviner. He doesn't even repent at that time. He doesn't say, why is this happening to me? He goes to a diviner. So your attitude towards God's word is very important. That is how you learn obedience. Second way we learn obedience. Okay, by the way, this is all suffering only. No, this is suffering. To come, to concentrate. You know, sometimes I listen to some speakers. I'm not sure if you guys will be able to handle him even for 15 minutes. If that guy were to come and preach from this pulpit, I'm sure 10 minutes you'll fall asleep. Sure. You all have to have animated expressions and dancers and everything, you know. I'm sure you have to, for you to, how many of you can actually listen to Derek Prince consistently, constantly? He's like one dull monotone. Here we have to do soprano, alto, everything. You should say, all kinds of noises in order to attract you. No? But he will speak in one dull monotone and unless you love God's word and you hang on to everything that he's saying, you'll never be able to listen to him. I used to do that over and over again. I heard him so much, so much. That's first thing. Attitude towards God's word. Second, 
Let's all read this together. How did Jesus learn obedience? Read that. Submission to imperfect authority. Okay? (laughs) This is something which we cannot segment. Alright? This is so important, saints. This is a game changer, I'm telling you, in your life. Game changer. Okay. This is Luke's Gospel chapter 2, verse 51 and 52. Your eternal destiny lies in the way that you accept this word. Test it and accept it, of course. Luke's Gospel chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus, what? Are He increased the eternal wise God. Increased in wisdom, finding favor with God and with man. What did I say? Untested obedience to suffering, to tested obedience. And what is the suffering paradigm over here? He has to submit to imperfect authority, especially to imperfect parents. I want to ask young people over here. So many people who come from different difficult backgrounds. Some of you orphans, some of you semi-orphans, some of you difficult parents. How do you, how is your response to your parents? Did you forgive your parents for some things that they have done to you, maybe? In their zeal? Ask yourself this question. And a lot of children will say, when I grow up, I will never be like my dad. You know, I'll tell you something. Today in the morning, I was listening to the James story. He said, whenever you say that, that's exactly what you will do. I will never be like that. Don't ever say that. No, I will never be like my mother or no, never. That means there's something in your heart. I mean, I'll ask even sisters-in-law. I'm sorry, not sister, daughters-in-law. <laughs> daughters-in-law, have you forgiven your in-laws? In-laws? Mothers-in-law? Have you forgiven them? For some harsh words that they may have, they might have spoken to you? I mean, I, I'll tell you, this, it's, this is so remarkable because Jethro, when, when Jethro comes to meet Moses, one thing that guy does is he goes and pays obedience. I mean, he just prostrates himself before him and he says, and he honors him. And Jethro, who took advantage of, advantage of him for 40 years, taking care of his sheep. You don't understand. Did you forgive your parents? Look at one example from the New Testament, from the Old Covenant. Look at this example. This is First Samuel chapter 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at this, at his appearance. You remember this story, right? All the, this is the, uh, what, what is happening? Uh, Saul wants, Samuel wants to anoint. It's very interesting. God said, how long will you grieve for Saul? It's knowing that I have rejected you, rejected him. Go to one place, anoint this fellow. You know what Saul will say? Um, Samuel will say, how can I go? If Saul comes to know, he will kill me. Can you imagine that? Amazing. If Saul comes to know, he will kill me. Then he says, take a heifer, etc. And say that you are offering a sacrifice, etc. And then he goes to Jesse's home and he says, I am going to anoint one of your sons. And Mr. Big Man comes. And when you are a big guy in your home, you know, you think that you are the boss. I am certainly the man. I am certainly the man he thought. Okay, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. 
For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither this fellow. Then Jesse, Shema, neither this fellow. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? You know what? Jesse is not even considering David as a legitimate son. Think about it. This is always good for nothing. Good only for taking care of sheep. There remains yet another fellow, youngest. What is he doing? Taking care of the sheep. You know how? how it's, it's not very easy to grow up in a family where you're not considered really... I, I know it, no? in, in homes especially. No? When you have one guy who's really smart... Is doing really, really well. Okay. All the talent that he has got. And that fellow becomes suddenly the blue-eyed boy. And everybody in the family, look at this fellow. Look at this. Learn from him. Learn from him. Automatically, that fellow will think that he is the... And, and everybody else is considered less. And one guy who is not studying is looked down upon. It's amazing. It happens in families. This is exactly what Jesse did to his son. And when... David became the anointed one. What did he do to his father? Look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they also went down to him. You see that? And he took care of all of them. He had any animosity in his heart? No. Let me ask you this question. How many of you young people over here have something against your parents and you have not forgiven them? Young, old. Some some of your parents might have been dead and gone. Did you forgive them? Or do you say, oh my goodness, look at my dad, so much of things he wasted in my life. Very important. How you submit to imperfect authority. Starts from home. And then, it starts from home, after you grow up, it goes to another place. We call it the workplace. Okay. There how you submit to imperfect authority matters. Look at this, in First Peter chapter 2. Servants, be submissive to your masters, with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now we should defi- define who are this harsh. Okay, we'll come to that. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit it is if you are beaten for your faults when you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And then he gives the comparison. For to this you were called, because... Christ also suffered for us, leaving as an example that we must follow in his footsteps. So you have untested obedience to suffering to tested obedience. So what is the suffering paradigm over here? The suffering paradigm is when you have a boss who is harsh. And who is this harsh boss? I'll tell you, harsh boss is not the guy who gives you a lot of work. Get that? I'll tell you something. If the more work that you're getting in your office, 
It is a good testimony, not a bad testimony. You know, the rebels in every office are the lazy people. I, I, my dad, we used to have, we used to just stay next to the railway, uh, railway office. Our home was just next to that. Every one, every week almost or every month, we used to have this mazdur union. You know, in Telugu we'll say, Pani Pata Lenivaldu. They all form a union and they are saying, Inkalab Zindabad, Inkalab Zindabad. They want freedom from work. This elderly, in every office you will find people who are lazy, who are actually the rebels. They will say, how come the boss is giving me so much of work? He will take my work and he will take the promotion. Don't worry about that. That is a harsh boss. Never worry about more work. Enjoy. Now look at this. I mean, I, I always talk about it. Don't ever suffer because of your bad work ethic. Are you a hard worker? I know Warren Beersby wrote a very interesting book uh, called On Being a Servant of God. In that one of the very interesting verses he says, I mean, uh, paragraphs in one of the chapters he says, is ministry nourishment or punishment? I went went to Gideon's, no? I went to Gideon's one day when I looked at all these Gideon's. First, first, first Bible study I took in Gideon's, I looked at all the Gideon's and I said, you Gideon's, what do you think? Is your ministry nourishment or is it punishment? They didn't know what to say. You see? How many of you think your work is punishment? Or is it nourishment? I mean, if you're writing your thesis, I know. <laughs> Sometimes it is punishment for sure. But but is do you enjoy your work? I, I'll tell you something. I enjoyed my work. I was, I was in university, boy. But I was gone. I enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed doing research. I was... I was enjoying it. I mean, I have been really, really successful in the worldly terms. Not many publications maybe. But I really, really enjoyed my work. It just gave me an incredible amount of satisfaction when I solved my problem. You see, work, more the work which has been handed into your life, it actually tells something about you. You see what happens to Jesus, Jesus, John's Gospel chapter 4. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. This is what, what did you eat? Eat. Tinnava, 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 tinnava. No? Rabbi, please eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? I mean, this is always the case, you know, whenever, you know, he said, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh, we did not carry any bread. That's exactly what they think. They always think in terms of their stomach. And Jesus is looking at them and he says, when I multiplied for 5,000 people, how many? When I multiplied for 4,000, I'm not even talking about the, about the bread. I'm talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. No. Oh, I have food to eat. Oh, who gave him food to eat? That's exactly what they're thinking. No. And you know what Jesus, look at what he says. No. He says, Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That is what I'm meant for. I'm a hard worker. It says in John's John's Gospel chapter 5, if I'm right. He says, my father and I have been working from the beginning and even even now we are continuing to work. And I tell you, when you go to heaven, it will be full of hard working, industrious, creative, brilliant 
people. How did I start? Hardworking, industrious, creative, brilliant people. Where is brilliant? Last or first? Ah, last. That is, I'll tell you, this is very, very important. Very, 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 very important for us. Hmm. John Piper again. Actually, before we go to John Piper, I want to look at one verse. Before I go to that verse, I'll look at another verse. First Peter chapter 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Okay, Just look at this. This is a principle. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do you know that you are humble? Because God gives you grace. How do you know that you have grace? No, 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 no. How do you know you are humble? Because God gives you grace. No, these are all qualitative features. Humble, nobody can see. It's an adjective. Can anybody see hum, hum, humility? You can only see a person who is humble. No? So humility is a character. Grace is also an abstract quality. But how do I know that I'm humble? When I have received grace. How do I know that I have received grace? Look at what it says. First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. So how do I know that I have really the grace of God in my life? I am one of the most hard working people in wherever I am placed. Okay, hard working. How do I know that I am humble? When I have received grace. How do I know that I have received grace? I am the hardest worker. He says, I am the most hard worker. He didn't say I am the most intelligent. Let me tell you, Paul was definitely more intelligent than Peter. For sure. Okay, And Peter himself said, I don't understand many of the letters that he says. He scratched his head. But you know what he says? He's never saying, I am the most intelligent person. He never says, I am the most hardworking person. The grace of God really makes us hardworking people. I was oh, listening to one sermon recently by John Piper, and this is just this is this is how he puts it, no, in beautiful words. Look at what he says. The grace of God, the power of his grace, in other words, in the heart of a humble believer who utterly depends upon God, produces in him incredible energy and industry. Let me read that again. The grace of God, the power of his grace in the heart of a humble believer who utterly depends on God, produces in him incredible energy and industry. I'll tell you something. The hard-working people are the most energetic people. They are full of energy. They are full of life. They are not morose. They are not... They're not sedentary. I mean, because of this, they're not, what do you say, couch potatoes, if you will. No. Hard working. They're the most industry. You look at the energy in their lives. Now, I, I, I know one, uh, I, I mean, I, I, can, I can quote from our own church. I see sisters, I never see her tired. Running around, running around, running around, running around. Running. She sleeps most possibly four or five hours in a day. Passages four or five hours in a day and he's full of energy. Why? Because his humility 
you receive grace. And why does God give us grace to make us hard working people? So never get punished because of your work ethic. In many believers, their work ethic stinks. They all, I don't want to work at this time. This time, from this time to this time, only I will work. And they will use spiritual terms also. I have to go to Bible study. Nonsense. To that I would say. No? Bible study. It's rubbish, I say. If you really have gone to Bible study, boy, you should be one of the most hardworking people in your class and your boss should never have any complaints. And he should give you more and more work. And you'll never be afraid. Now, don't have to worry about that at all. Don't ever think somebody's going to steal your work. Your work, somebody can steal. But your attitude, can anybody steal? You know, that's what it says. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, nor thieves can break in and steal. They might steal your intellectual property, but they will never be able to steal your character. They can never do that. And what God is looking for is character and not the result of your hard work. That is That, that only he will give later on, not now. If what you see now is not the ultimate. You got that? So, how you submit to imperfect authority, especially now, to bosses who will take advantage of you. So, let me tell you what he means in this place. How do we produce the obedience of Christ? That we would rather suffer the fleeting pleasures of sin. Okay? How do we, how do we produce the obedience of Christ under imperfect authority or in some cases abusive authority? We all have come across in our workplaces maybe. First Peter chapter 2, servants be submissive to people who are harsh. And you know this harshness is very subtle. Where, where you are asked to compromise on your convictions. And because of your incredible work ethic, you have been given so much of work. And then you are asked to compromise on your convictions. How do you deal with those situations wherein you will continue to submit to authority? And you will never succumb or compromise your convictions. Example, Genesis chapter 39. This is talking about Joseph. Chapter 39 verse 5. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had into Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread that he ate. You know, can you imagine this guy completely trust Joseph, has entrusted every work into the hands of Joseph. That is mean, that means this guy's got an incredible work ethic. So much of work has been entrusted into his hands. Now comes the test of harshness. Madam Potiphar comes. And it came to, came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. In other words, compromise your convictions. Compromise! And you will find this in every Government office especially. But what about Joseph? But he refused. 
And he said, Look, my master does not know what it, what is with me and in the house and he has committed all that he has in my hand and there is no greater in this house than I nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness against my God? In other words, this man is a man of absolute convictions, excellent work ethic and excellent character, tremendous, strong in his convictions. What happens to this hard worker? Look at the next verse, which I think verse 14, if I'm right. And very interesting how it gear shifts. Okay. Verse 11. And it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his. Ah. He didn't go to his house to loiter around his master's wife to see if he gets tempted again. No. Very serious. He was absolutely focused in his work. Let me tell you something. I want to... Hang around with people who are absolutely focused on their work. There are so many believers, sad to say, who have no vision. They don't know what they're doing. They're not focused. They're all over the place. He went to do his work. None of the men on the house were inside. Mostly this lady must have arranged this circumstance. Then what happened that she caught him by his garment, lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. You know what? It's very interesting, right? How much will God test you? He will not test you more than what you can bear, but with every temptation, there will be a door of escape. From the Potiphar's house, he goes into prison where he will never be tempted by Potiphar's wife again. That is how God honors. Did God save him? Yeah. Why? He never compromised on his work ethic. Never compromised on his convictions. What if this does not happen? You know what? You know, in our, in our Telugu, if you, especially if you work in forest department or in police department, and if you are a guy with incredible work ethic and incredible convictions, you know what they will do? They will keep on transferring you. And if you don't obey orders from the higher ups, you will be transferred to God knows what places. You know, in Telugu, there's a, there's a, there's a phrase, Shankarigiri Maniyalu. Shankarigiri Maniyalu means from Shankarigiri to Maniyam. What is Shankarigiri? One, one place in some remote village, another Maniam will be in some place in some agency land where there are Naxalites. What they will do, if you are a man of convictions, they will transfer you from one Naxalite area to another Naxalite area where you will be killed. You have the, you, that will be one of the most unsafe areas only because of your convictions. Morning by morning, he awakens me. I learnt. And I was not rebellious, so that one day I can give my back. You want to see, look at another paradigm. A man who was under a wicked authority who was going to take advantage of him and is going to send him to a place where his life will be at stake only because of his convictions. You know who that man is? Any guesses? Second Samuel chapter 11. Then David sent to Job saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Job was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was 
prospered. You know, deception. You, know, you he has a very wrong motive. This man is going to take advantage of a servant who is under him. And this servant is going to submit to his master and is not going to compromise on his convictions. To an evil, harsh master. It's very interesting how things can change. How David changes over a period of time. It's scary. You know, remember, he also had a very tough master. Saul, who wanted, he was after his life, but he never, ever, ever raised his finger against that against his master. Remember that? And even after his master died, he said, can I... Find anybody in the house of Saul to whom I can show mercy. You see, this man now has become so evil and a harsh master. He is going to take advantage of a guy. But this guy, he is so strong on his work ethic, so strong on his convictions, he's not going to compromise. He's going to rather die rather than succumb to his convictions. When Uriah had come to him, David asked, etc. Go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. You see how he's trying to appeal to his senses. You know, I I remember when I went to NCC camp. I used to think when when you go to NCC camp, you will be given very nice food. It is one of the worst food I have ever eaten in my entire life. And incredible water. This that it's like a roti is like one papad only, and water chai, which is like water. Everything is water, water, and they'll wake you up at four o'clock and they'll give you that lousy food. Sometimes I'm sorry, and it was really, really terrible, terrible food. I used to wonder what is this? If if soldiers eat this, how they can how can they fight? The idea is not to keep the soldiers eating good food, but to keep them awake and active. Give them real, real. And then this guy, Uriah, he's, he's in this battle mode. He's in the barracks, was eating the food that, you know, army people, when they're fighting, eat. And suddenly comes back home and David is giving him food and he says, no, Baba, I'm not going to eat this food. How can I eat this food? You know, that's exactly what, 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 uh, what Hebrews chapter 13 will say. Pray with those who are in the prison as if you are chained with them. This is exactly what he was doing. Man strong on convictions. He is not going to succumb to food. The temptation of food. After food comes a temptation for sex. He is not going to compromise on that as well. He would say. I would rather suffer with God's people. Than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. If I know what it is right to do. and have, See this is exactly what happened to David. David has become a lazy man. Whenever you become a lazy man, this is exactly what you will invite. An idle man's mind is a devil's workshop, is a, is a, is a maxim that we hear. It is so true. So Uriah departed from king's house and a gift of food from the king's table followed him. And would he eat it? No way. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And look at the answer that he gives, convictions. The ark of Israel and Judah dwelling in tents and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I go then to my house to eat, to drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. And you know what? David says, this guy, boy, I cannot, I cannot make him compromise. But you know what? He's already a harsh master. But you know what? Uriah is going to submit to him regardless. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to write his death warrant, transfer him, Shankar Giri as you said, to the most 
difficult place in the battlefield. He is going to take his death warrant. You know what, what, what you ever said? My Lord, my King, I'm going to take it. He's going to take that letter. He's going to give it to Joab. Now in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. His transfer orders came. Where are you transferred? Cargill. Kaha se? From Sikandrabad Contournement. Hottest battle. Did he submit? Yeah. Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him. Retreat! Amazing. That he may be struck down and die. In other words, take away his cover. So it was while Joab besieged the city and he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew they were valiant men. Then men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. To this you were called. Submission to imperfect authority. That is how you learn obedience. How many of you can do that actually? You know your boss. Some of you. Don't worry. You will get him very soon. Or her. If not Potiphar, then definitely David. Okay. That is how he learned obedience. Third. How he learned obedience. How he gives, makes us learn obedience. He loves an imperfect wife. That's amazing, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Not to others' husbands, own husbands. Okay? Just in case. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head. So, therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject to their own husbands. But look at wives, husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved an imperfect wife. And gave himself. Oh, it's, you think it is easy. Oh. You know, John Piper wrote a book called This Light and Momentary Marriage. <laughs> it's actually taken away from that verse, light and momentary affliction. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not romantic all the time. It's, it's battle. You have to really be at it. It's death. Hmm. That is how he is going to sanctify us. Through our marriage. Marriage is a tool for sanctification. For to produce obedience of Christ. No other thing. See? Pleasure and all is just sides. That he might present to himself glorious church not having a spot or a wrinkle. Etc. You know this. What about wives? Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husband. You know what this likewise is? This is exactly after talking about imperfect bosses. Peter is talking about likewise wives. Submit to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. I can only read scripture. In the Tuesday Bible study, 
I am the minority, absolute minority actually. I am the only guy most of the times and everybody else is ladies. That you have study as you are here. And sometimes when I have to read this verse, I am like looking at them from the corner of my eye. I turn to the board sometimes just to ensure that I don't look at them. But it is not me. This is what God is saying. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied with fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging of the hair, wearing of the gold, putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. When did he call him Lord? When did she call him Lord? Whenever he made a decision, she called him Lord. Please go and say that you are my wife, and not my wife, my sister. Yes, Lord. After she conceives, tell Abimelech that you are not my wife, you are my sister. Yes, Lord. Amazing. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as a weaker vessel, being heirs together of the what of life? The grace of life. Okay, I'm not going to go into the details. So that is how obedience of Christ is produced. You know, marriage, by the way, children who want to get married, why is marriage given to us? Why? Simply so that God can produce the obedience of Christ inside of us. That is the reason why marriage is given to us. It's a great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of marriage. There are only two mega mysteries in the Bible. The mystery of godliness and the mystery of marriage. Others are just normal mysteries. Okay. Finally, the obedience of Christ. How do I know that I have the obedience of Christ? And being formed in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. I am not doing this for exaltation here. I am going to work for the exaltation which comes from God alone. That is what? That is the obedience of Christ. You know, when people do not appreciate your work when you are on earth, praise God. You know what, what is happening? Obedience of Christ is being made perfect in you. First Peter chapter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, which, is, which perishes, though it is tested by fire, may, may, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. When? At the revelation of Jesus. Whose praise? Your praise. Whose glory? Your glory. Whose honor? Your honor. When? Not now. At the revelation. We are not looking for things now. See, this is what obedience of Christ is. Any other obedience is not obedience. Any other obedience is rebellion and any other obedience therefore is operating in the realm of witchcraft. So let me tell you something, saints, if you haven't taken anything away from today's Bible study, one of the things that you can always check if you are really, really a humble person. Humble person is a hardworking person. He works hard. You know, it says, I thought.
toil. God says, I mean, Peter Paul says, I toil, I labor. And he calls his co-workers co-laborers. It's labor. It's hard work. And God is not going to give us anything easy in our lives. If God has a plan for your life and he has spoken something in your life, you'll not get it easy. It is going to be hard work. And it has to be hard work. And a humble man, humble woman, will be a hard-working woman so that the obedience of Christ may be produced in us. Amen. Let's, let's all stand up and let's pray. Whenever we come to the study of the word, we don't get condemned. We get convicted. Conviction is of God. Condemnation is of the devil. God only rebukes those whom he loves. And every word requires from us. And this evening, just check. How was your work ethic in your offices? Children in your homes, when you study. Has work become punishment or is it nourishment? Laboring, but getting discouraged. This evening, just surrender to God and say, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Forgive me. So many times I worked To please men and not to please you. I pray, Father, that your Lord, you will find in this house men and women who want to please you. Obedience which pleases God. And that obedience is the obedience of Christ which pleases you. Father, teach us every day. Father, enable us not to resist the things that you are allowing into our lives. Father, because you said all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Because you are conforming us to the image of your son. And the image of your son is produced only by the obedience of your son. And I pray, Father, that you would find in this house and in the weeks to come, those who will hear to this word, you would find people, Father, who are sincere in striving to to attain to the obedience of Christ. Grant us grace to that and we pray that we will be hardworking young men, young women, older men, older women, not lazy people. Forgive us our sloth. Quicken us in our mortal bodies. And enable us to be hardworking people who will look for exaltation only which comes from you and not from anybody else. You said in your word, exaltation doesn't come from the east or from the west. It comes from you, O Lord. And you alone. Grant us grace to that and we pray. Once again, we remember Pastor James and Sister Elsa. Keep them, Lord. Pray, Father, for Pastor, even as he travels, that you would be with him, with your servant. Thank you, Father, for this time that you blessed us with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.